Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Refuge. Like everybody said before, whether you're watching this this morning or you're watching this later in the week in the evening, let me just be the first to say good evening to those of you who are watching us midweek. My name is Nikki, and I am privileged and honored to be here. Thank you so much to Brenton and to everybody on the team for wishing me a happy two years. This has been a great great two years of ministry. Um, COVID aside, (laughs) everything else about this two years has been amazing serving you guys, and I'm just honored to be here. And yes, as Sean mentioned, there were Oreos on the side of the stage. You know, last week, uh, Brenton talked about people being hangry, and he asked people to raise their hands. If you missed that sermon, it's a really, really good one. Go back and watch the replay if you didn't get a chance to watch that or check out our podcast. But he mentioned if anybody's ever felt hangry, raise your hand, and a couple people in the room actually turned around and pointed at me, and I thought, you know what, this week I'm going to make sure that I'm not hangry. Now, okay, for kids, kids, if you're watching this right now, I want you to understand that Oreos, I have a whole tray of them, probably not the best Sunday morning breakfast, but I will tell you, they go so good with milk, I love them so much, but To be honest, that's not actually why I brought Oreos on the stage. I was looking at our passage this week, and I kept thinking about how um, it just brought to mind this idea of the Oreo. And it's funny because we're actually in the book of Philippians this morning. Out of all of the passages in this week's lectionary, I just felt drawn to Philippians. And there's actually four chapters in the book of Philippians, um, much like there are four rows of cookies. I'm going to just show the camera right here, four rows of cookies here, just like there are four chapters in the book of Philippians. Now, much like reading scripture, you probably aren't going to sit down and eat this whole package in one sitting, right? But maybe you'll have a couple of cookies. You might ingest a few scriptures. Today, we're going to spend a few minutes on about 13 scriptures out of the book of Philippians. Um, But what really struck me is that right in the middle of the passage that we're going to be reading today is a scripture that often we like to take out all by itself, and we like to use that in ways that, you know, we model our lives after. But much like this Oreo cookie, you know, some people like to, well, I'm probably strange because I actually just dip the whole thing in milk and eat it just like that. But a lot of people that I know, they like to take the cookies apart and they like to just eat the filling. Some people will then eat the cookies. Others just toss the cookies away, and they just enjoy the filling. But are you really, can you really say you're eating an Oreo if you're just eating the filling? I don't know. I guess the jury's still out on that. Let us know in the comments how you eat Oreos and whether or not it's socially acceptable to eat them on a Sunday morning. I don't know. The jury's out on that one. But 
My point is this. We're going to read this passage in the book of Philippians. And if you have your Bible, I'm actually going to read it on my phone today. And so if you have your Bible, could you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? And we'll also have it up on the screen. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 today. And I want you to just kind of follow along. Now this letter, it's actually a letter, the book of Philippians. And it's written by Paul who was one of the greatest missionaries ever, ever, ever. He planted a lot of awesome churches, and he moved from city to city, and whether or not he was in prison, it didn't matter where he was in the world, he liked to check in on the churches and see how they were doing, and he had a particular love for Philippi. And so he wrote this letter to this church and kind of give an update about where he was. He was actually in prison at the time, what he was doing, what God was doing in his life. And uh, he even gave some instructions a little bit. And we've talked about this chapter before, so you may remember that there were a couple of women listed later on in this letter where he addressed specifically that, you know, they needed to work out some issues. And so much like churches today, Churches back in Bible times, they weren't perfect. And so this letter, though, where we pick up on in Philippians chapter 2, kind of picks up on this thought of being worthy of the gospel, about uh, conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, being a good representative of Jesus, the Jesus that they're telling everyone about. And so I'm going to just start reading. This is in the NIV, Philippians 2, 1 through 13, and it says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your faith, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That is such a great passage, and to many of you who've been in the church a long time, it may be really a familiar passage. I draw great comfort from many of the scriptures that I just read to you. It's a great book. I highly recommend that you read all four rows of Oreos, if you will. But I really want to talk about the frosting for a minute. Once again, this scripture that 
really is probably most familiar is about Jesus' authority, and that's right in the middle of, of this passage, verses 9 through 11. And today I just want to talk about Jesus' authority just a little bit. Oftentimes, we like to take the frosting out of the cookie, so to speak, and we just focus on this one particular aspect of this passage. And we really forget to take into account the two cookies on either side. And that's where they, Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and we are reading this today, and we begin to learn what it really means about what Jesus' authority was and how he handled himself and how we are to model ourselves after him. And so I want to talk about that today, about what it looks like to model ourselves after Christ. So really, I think sometimes we take this concept of Jesus' authority and we like to wield it around and we use it in contexts a lot that um, are for our own gain. You know, I I grew up and and I just remember hearing this whole, like, you know, claim it in the name of Jesus and it's yours. And sometimes that looked like material possessions. Sometimes it looked like a a job promotion. Um, There's a lot of different things that that may have looked like in different contexts. But a lot of times it was just something to the effect of, you know, claim that in the name of Jesus, in Jesus's authority, and then it's yours. But I look at this scripture and I see a very different way that Jesus used this authority. In fact, in another one of the passages in our lectionary in Matthew, um, it talks about Jesus and how he actually, there's actually a lot of examples in Matthew about how Jesus didn't wield his authority for his own personal gain. In fact, oftentimes he would use his authority to do things for others where he would heal the sick or he would, um, like we just sang in the song, he would silence the waves, and he would silence fear, and he would bring healing, and he would set captives free. And every time Jesus wielded his authority, in fact, in many times, uh, when he would heal somebody, he would tell them, you know, go and be healed, but, but don't tell everybody that it was me that did it. He, he, he didn't really want the accolades, because in that moment, that's not what he was there for. And so a lot of times, though, we take this scripture, and like the frosting, we just want to enjoy Jesus' authority in every aspect of our lives. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. God has given us so, so many good gifts. But if you look at this in between the two cookies, if you look at this passage of scripture as a whole, Paul is encouraging the church to have humility and to be, to be humble, to be full of compassion, to be full of tenderness, and in doing so, having the mind of Christ. And I really love in the verses right before that, in verses 6 through 8, it lists exactly what that mindset is. Now, when I think of Jesus, I think of somebody who's, who's fearless and who's powerful and, and who, who came to do all of these things that I just listed before. But here, Paul is reminding us that Jesus didn't consider equality with God to be something exploited. He didn't take advantage of the privilege of being deity. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, humbling himself 
coming down from his throne in heaven and humbling himself, taking on the appearance of man, not leaving behind his deity, but fully embracing being human and all that came with it, the pain, the sweat, the tears, the uncomfortable heat, the hard ground, the thorns, all of the things that come with being human. He fully embraced that. He didn't do it for some science experiment. He didn't do it because he was curious. He just wanted to see what it felt like. He didn't do it for his own benefit. He did it for our benefit. And in doing so, he even went so far as to be obedient to death. And the kind of death that he was obedient to was the most humiliating kind of all being raised up on a cross, being beaten, being paraded through the streets, being spit on, all of these horrible insults thrown at him, being mocked. He took all of that on so that we could benefit from his authority. We could benefit from his deityness. We could benefit from his sacrifice, not for his own gain. He used his authority to help others. And in fact, I love this scripture, uh, verses 6 and 7, as it's been translated in the message. And um, if you have that on your phone, you can switch over to that, or we might even put it up on the screen. But it says, he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Jesus set aside his privileges for the benefit of others. And that's what Paul is reminding us. He wants us to put on that mindset. Now, I have to say, this is something that I've struggled with over the years. This isn't something that I immediately became a Christian and all of a sudden I got this right and maybe you're in the same boat. When I was in church as a young woman, I, I got saved at 14 and it was in the mid-90s and there was all of this stuff going on and, and a lot of it had to do with following rules. And I'm a very like black and white person. You know, if, if you tell me this is how it's supposed to be, then that's what I'm going to strive for. And I took on all of these rules and I thought... I want to be a good Christian. You know, I came from a home that was in all kinds of disarray, and I, I just had all kinds of upheaval in my life. And I thought, if this is how I get to have a good life, then this is what I want to do. And that just kept being encouraged in me. And the, the more that I would make these changes and that I would do these things and I would adopt these rules into my life, the better that I became in the sight of others. And I began to take that on almost as a form of pride. I began to think that I really was better than other people. And I began to suffer with this horrible, horrible habit of judging other people. And I would go through life, and, you know, I would never say it out loud. I'm entirely too nice for that. And I put that in air quotes. I would never say it out loud. I say it in my mind. I say it in my heart. And I would tell myself that I'm such a better Christian than so-and-so over there who's doing this or doing that. And I knew all of the rules. And I knew all of the things that I needed to do to be a good person. And I would intentionally judge other people who weren't following those same rules. 
Of course, we call it convictions back then. You know, I have the Holy Spirit's conviction about that. I don't go see rated R movies because, you know, I have conviction about that. Or I don't get tattoos or I don't get piercings or I don't color my hair weird colors because I'm pure and I'm holy. I began to learn that some of those things that I was judging other people about, really, they're not even in the Bible. There's nothing that says that you can't have blue hair. There's nothing that says all of these things that I would have in my mind, and maybe you have other rules that you're thinking of right now. Now, I'm not saying that all rules are bad. We definitely are given a way to live our lives as Christians, but one of those ways does not involve judging people. And in so much that I actually ended up taking a class, I was well on my way to becoming a pastor, and I was taking a class where I was having these amazing conversations with people, and the Lord actually convicted me. And he showed me where what I was doing was not drawing people nearer to Christ. Instead, it was pushing them away and drawing them farther away from Christ. And one of those things that I used to judge Christians about specifically, like you're not Christian enough if you have a tattoo, especially if you get a tattoo after you become a Christian. It's one thing to have tattoos before you got saved because, you know, that's part of your testimony. But if you got a tattoo after you were a Christian, man, I did not think that you were on your way to heaven. And I'm not saying that this happens to everybody, but the Lord convicted me on this. And I just knew the only way that I would ever, ever, ever truly understand the concept of grace and humility is if I ended up getting one myself. Now, kids, again, if you're watching this, I'm not encouraging you to run out and get tattoos, okay? In fact, if you want to just switch over to refugeoc.com slash church at home, you can watch some kids' videos there that'll tell you all about Jesus, and you'll have a really great time. But in truth, honestly, I ended up getting the word grace on my arm, And I got it on my arm right here so that everywhere that I go, I can see this and be reminded of exactly how when I'm extending grace to others, just as God extends grace to me. And I say this because I did not have humility. I was so puffed up with pride. But God transformed my heart. He made me understand that I was pushing people away. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's warning us. He's telling us how we do have the authority of Jesus. We have everything that Jesus had because we have his Holy Spirit living in us, but we can't wield it recklessly. We need to have humility. There's so many Christians that I know that have walked away from the church So many more, even during COVID, who have not once logged online to watch a church service or to stay connected to a community. And it's not because God has done them wrong. It's not because they don't think that what's in the Bible is true anymore. It's because they've been hurt by somebody in the church. Somebody has told them that they are not good enough and that they are never going to go down the right path. Somebody has told them that they don't have what it takes to be a true Christ follower, and so they've walked away. And my heart breaks for them. I've known two pastors who have walked away from ministry during this time, and it hurts my heart because I understand that this could have been prevented. 
And when I go on Facebook, when I go on Twitter, like I seriously am going to have to delete it off of my phone again because it is just constantly an argument fest. Everybody's talking about how if you don't do this, you're not Christian. If you do this, you're not Christian. And all of these people are arguing over what it looks like to be Christian. When scripture says that we are called to have the mind of Christ, we are called to be humble in serving other people, to have tenderness, to have compassion. I want to show you a picture of, that I found when I was kind of scrolling through Facebook, actually. A friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine, she posted this picture, and I had to Google it because, you know, you can't believe everything that you read on Facebook. And so I wanted to know if this was a real thing, and sure enough, it is. Um, and you may see it up on your screen. And this is a picture of a man who was... This was back in May of 2017 in London, and he was so overwrought with everything that was going on in his life that he had decided to end it. And as he was about to jump off of this bridge, a group of strangers who had never met each other and had never met this man came together to grab a hold of him and hold on to him tightly Some of them grab his his legs. Some of them have his waist. Some of them have him around, their arms wrapped around him. Somebody even went and grabbed rope and began tying him to the railings. And they held him there for two hours until rescuers could come because they valued his life that much. A group of strangers cared for a stranger that much. I can't help but wonder if this is what it looks like to be the church, that we are to set aside everything, including our own pride, including our own judgments, including our own selfishness, to reach out and rescue those who are on the verge of dying. But I think sometimes we get distracted. Can you imagine what would have happened that day if this people on that bridge had said, you know what, I don't have time for this. I'm late for work. I got to go. I'm really sorry. That guy must be going through a lot, but I really have to be somewhere else right now. Or what if they had come across each other and they said, wait a second, I can't work with you because we don't, we don't vote the same way. I, I can't work with you because you don't believe the same way that I do. I, I can't help this guy. I mean, what if he did something to deserve this? Or what if I save him and then he votes for the other guy? Like, I I don't know if he even deserves this. Maybe I should just let it go. What would have happened that day if this group of people on that bridge got in an argument over the best way to save this guy? What if they were like, well, you know what? I think while we wait for the rescue team, we really should just wait a second and try to think this through, okay? Well, I think that if we would just have never built this bridge in the first place, and since Clearly, it's the bridge's fault for existing. I'm not even going to go there. What if they got distracted by all the wrong things and they weren't focused on the bigger picture, which is just getting over there and saving that man's life? We get distracted by the little things. We get distracted by arguments on Facebook between people we don't even know. We get distracted over whether or not somebody is, you know, praising a politician that we don't agree with, even though they claim to be a Christian. We get distracted by silly things like tattoos and piercings and weird hair color. We get distracted by little things and we forget 
what it means to have the mind of Christ. We forget what it means. What if that had been me? What if that had been you on that bridge? What if you had never heard the gospel? Where would you be today? If we get so distracted by these little things, by our own privileges even, not just infighting and arguments, but by our rights and our privileges, if we get so distracted by those things, we risk missing the bigger picture. And I want to challenge you today. Friends, please do not forget the bigger picture. Our purpose is not to get lost in all of the minutiae and all of the details or to even just focus on the frosting of one cookie. That's not what our purpose is. We have been given two assignments on this earth, to love God and to love others. It's as simple as that. Another pastor friend of mine, he put up there that we were called to love two different kinds of people. We are called to love our neighbors, and we are called to love our enemies. It's really as simple as that. Can we humble ourselves as Christ did? Not for our own gain, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the lost, for the benefit of the hurting, for the benefit of those who once knew Christ and walked away, for the benefit of those who still love Christ but crave community because they have been hurt by those Christ followers. What are you going to do with this authority that Jesus has given you? Can you be secure in it like he was? Can you be the type of Christian that crosses the lines and says, here, take my hand, I know the right way to go, and I want you to come with me? I want to encourage you to be that kind of Christian because if Christ has done all of this for you, then I want to encourage you to show somebody else the way so that they can experience that as well. I want to read the scripture again. But before I do that, I want to invite the worship team to come up. And I want to remind you of one other thing in that photograph that you may not have noticed. There's two perspectives that are very obvious, the perspective of the one being rescued and the perspective of the rescuers. But there's a third perspective in that photograph that's invisible, and that's the perspective of the photographer. Friends, somebody is always watching us. They're always watching us. They hear the words coming out of our mouth. They watch the things that we do. They watch the places that we go. They watch the things that we do and say on Facebook, the memes that we share, the news articles that we share, the conspiracy theories that we spread. They watch these things from the periphery. And they're making judgments of their own about whether or not this Christ that you speak of on Sundays is the real deal. I don't ever want to be a barricade to somebody else coming to Christ. And to those of you that I have judged in the past, I ask your forgiveness. Because I know there have been things I've done in my life where I've messed up and I wished somebody had had grace on me. And so I want to encourage you as I read these scriptures, 
again, out of the message. This is just the first four verses in our passage. If I could get down on my hands and knees and beg you, church, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. As we go into this last song, though, I want to just ask you that wherever you are, unless you're driving, if you could just kneel down as we sing this last song. And I just want to ask that you would pray with me. Lord, Lord, you have done so much for us. You have done more than we can ever ask or imagine. And you want to do so much more for us. But even more, Lord, you want to do so much more through us. So, Lord, I pray right now that you will be with your church, that you will bring healing to your church, that you will bring unity to your church. Help us not to get so distracted by things that don't even matter when it comes to all of eternity. We are all going to have differences. We're all going to in interpret things differently. We're all going to hear this message and get something different out of it, each one of us. But Lord, I pray that you will help us to know the things that matter the most, to love you and to love others. And I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to have laser focus in this dark time of need. So many hurting people, so many things are happening in this world. Lord, you are the only answer. Let us be a bridge and not a barricade. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, under his authority, I pray these things over our church today. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.